Aloha and welcome to HMA Connect, the new podcast program of the Hawaii Medical Association. Established in 1856, HMA is dedicated to serving physicians, their patients, and the community. This episode is co-sponsored by HMA and the Hawaii State Rural Health Association as part of our gubernatorial candidate series. Candidates were given the opportunity to answer questions posed by members of both organizations, providing the community an introduction to the candidates and their positions on health care issues which affect physicians, patients, and community health. Each episode begins with an opening statement from the candidate, followed by a question and answer section and the candidate's closing remarks. Episodes will be released in the order in which they were recorded. This interview is with gubernatorial candidate Josh Green. Josh Green is a husband, a father, an ER doctor, and Hawaii's lieutenant governor. More than 20 years ago, Josh started caring for local families as a doctor in a small clinic on the Big Island. After seeing the challenges many people faced, like the high cost of living, the lack of affordable housing, and the plague of addiction, Josh ran for office to help make a difference, serving in the State House and State Senate from 2004 to 2018. In 2018, Josh became Hawaii's lieutenant governor and led the largest health care response in state history, pulling Hawaii together to vaccinate over a million people, protect our kapuna, and save thousands of lives. Josh and his wife, Jamie, share the values of Hawaii, family and community, diversity, and a responsibility to future generations. Together, they are the proud parents of 15-year-old daughter, Maya, and 11-year-old son, Sam. And now, an opening statement from candidate Josh Green. Aloha. My name is Josh Green. I'm your lieutenant governor a physician in our community, and I'm running for the governorship because I think Hawaii needs leaders that we can trust to tell us the truth, to keep us safe and informed, to care about our working families, and to be transparent and accountable to our people. It's important that voters know about me, and it's important that you know about me and what I've done uh, over the course of my life in Hawaii. So I wanted to tell you a little bit about my background today. First and foremost, I came to Hawaii to work in the National Health Corps. I'm a physician. I'm a family physician, board certified in that discipline when I came to the state and have gradually worked in the ER and transitioned my career into emergency medicine out of necessity because, of course, I was elected into the House of Representatives and the Senate and Lieutenant Governorship with your gracious help. So thank you for that. When I came to Hawaii to be in the National Health Corps, it was the opportunity of a lifetime. I hadn't expected ever to get into politics, but let me tell you how that happened. When I came to Hawaii, I was asked to serve first in Hilo on the Big Island uh, to run a family health center clinic. When I got here, the physician in the south in Kau left her position and we decidedly needed someone to go down and be the doctor in Kau. So when I first stepped foot into one of our clinics, it was in Kau in Nalehu, uh, a little four bedroom cottage. And I'll tell you, it was the opportunity of a lifetime and the experience of a lifetime because I inherited 8,000 patients at that moment And those 8,000 people were mostly Filipino and Hawaiian. They took me into their heart, into their lives, and it was really extraordinary because, as you know, when you're a physician and you come into the community, you get to see all of the challenges we have. And it was in those years when I saw our lack of access to behavioral health care, 
drug treatment, people who had traumas. I saw firsthand exactly how difficult it was to live on Big Island, to live without resources or any advocates. So I ran for office. I went door to door in my scrubs and over the course of seven months people got to know me and I was very fortunate to get elected to the House of Representatives in 2004. Again during this time I absorbed the values of Hawaii and right after getting elected into the House of Representatives I had the luckiest break of all. I was lucky to meet Jamie, my wife, born in Kaneohe. Jamie went to Iolani and then to Brown and then came back for law school. We started a family, we got married, and you can see that we have, over time, developed a process by which we try to help people whenever we can. I served in the House for those four years and then the Senate for 10. I ran for Lieutenant Governor after seeing through lots of great challenges to, like I said earlier, take on the challenges of lack of access to health care. We built a trauma system with tobacco tax dollars. We brought extra resources to drug treatment. And each time that I was lucky enough to continue to serve, I continued to work in the emergency department and see what we face. But there are a lot of challenges that are outside of even health care. Homelessness is one of them, and I began to work on that as a senator and then as lieutenant governor when people chose me four years ago. I see homelessness as a health condition and a health problem because people who don't have access to health care, who have schizophrenia, who have bipolar dis disease, who have traumas, PTSD, they utilize our healthcare system at a high level, they suffer. And so by starting uh, the program of Kauhale, we see that we're now decreasing that, really that devastating lifestyle, and we're seeing a lot of people improve. That's the kind of governor I will be. I'll take on challenges analytically. Now, I ran for lieutenant governor, and a lot of people felt, well, it's not an impactful position. But I think it's safe to say that doing the hard work during the pandemic, we were able to make the lieutenant governorship valuable. And I was hopefully able to bring something very relevant. I was honored to be not just a member of the HMA uh, and one of your selected physicians of the year, but also I was honored to be a part of a, a statewide, very comprehensive uh, response to a problem like we've never seen before. We ended up having the lowest COVID rates, the lowest mortality rates in, in the country, and people pulled together. So that's what prepared me to become governor. But at the beginning and the end of every day, I'm just a hard worker. I never quit my job. I never stop working. I make sure that I'm committed completely, and I think that's what we need in our governor. So I'm really just so honored to be able to uh, continue to be a member of our medical community. I will be a volunteer physician after the election if we are lucky enough to win. Uh, by statute, I'm not allowed to work any longer as a physician in the ER or elsewhere, but it has been an incredible ride and I was honored to do medical missions with many of our members. I'll continue to do that kind of thing. Uh, but if elected governor, you'll see that I will focus on affordable housing, homelessness, access to health care. I'm sure we'll unpack some of these problems in the question and answer session. But more than anything, you'll see me showing up for work every day. I'll be a responsive uh, governor, and you will get an extraordinary first lady in Jamie as well. So I look forward uh, to having you meet her. Uh, but as parents of kids growing up in Hawaii, we're deeply committed to the state. And I hope that I've won over your trust over the course of these last several years. Uh, but I'm available to you always uh, to discuss the problems of our times. The pandemic highlighted profound healthcare inequities with race, socioeconomic, education, and demographic differences across the country. What do you believe the executive branch should do to address these disparities in Hawaii? Thank you for this question about health disparities. 
This is the life I've lived as a public servant and as a physician in the state of Hawaii. In fact, it was the National Health Service Corps that brought me to Hawaii to work in Kau, where, where those inequities were greatest. The Hawaiian community lives an average of 10 years less than those who are Caucasian, uh, those who are Japanese. It is incredible to see these disparities persist year after year. So what I will do is actually jumpstart the solution that I was a part of which is to make sure that we have more providers in rural areas with loan repayment so that you actually have health care services in those communities. We've done a very good job giving people insurance, but a lot of people who live in communities far away from the center of economic activity, they just can't get a doctor or a nurse practitioner or a PA there. So a loan repayment program for those who serve in the state of Hawaii to groups that have need is a central uh, core part of my solution for health care disparities. There are other health disparities that exist that are even more severe, those for the homeless population. They have homeless health disparities, which are catastrophic. They live three decades less than average people who are housed. Uh, but that is one of the many uh, challenges that I'll take up. You can see it resonate in Waianae and all over the state. Uh, but I'm better positioned to solve this problem probably than anyone in the history of, of the governorship. So you will see me as a physician governor if I get elected. The pandemic also illustrated the inadequacy of mental health care in the United States. What can the executive branch do to ensure that the people of Hawaii, especially our youth, who have experienced a disproportionate increase in mental health crises, receive appropriate psychiatric care? It did expose a problem for us, the pandemic. Uh, it was already evident as we've lost a lot of behavioral health services on the neighbor islands over the years, Maui being a classic example where there's no adolescent inpatient behavioral health care available. What we know now is that we have to better reimburse the disciplines in medicine that are chronically under reimbursed. And those are mostly the psychiatric disciplines and the drug treatment disciplines. That is where we actually have to place our focus. Adolescent mental health has um, eluded us. And I will say this more broadly, about a third of our state, 500,000 of our residents live in zip codes that do not have adequate behavioral health care services. So it has to be an investment in those services. We have to further bolster the community health center system. And we have to, once again, provide some kind of economic benefits to those who will go and practice in these areas. And I think that that is either tax credits or loan repayment. Uh, this is the solution for our state. The treatment of mental illness is often complicated by coexisting homelessness and or substance abuse. What can we do as a state to address these complex underlying issues? To address chronic homelessness, especially where there is an overlap with addiction and mental illness, what we need to do is we need to provide low-impact housing in the form of kauhale, small houses in villages, to put a roof over people's heads. I've already studied this problem and built two kauhale. The moment you have a roof to go over someone's head, even if it's very inexpensive, you see a 60% decrease in the first month of their uh, opioid use or their alcohol consumption. It makes a major difference in their behavioral health uh, situation just by getting a roof over their head. In addition to this, we have to have comprehensive social supports and health care in and around these small villages so that people actually get continuous health care. Otherwise, they will go to the wind and they will continue to suffer. This is the beginnings and the underpinnings of our solution, but it's more complex, obviously, than just that because we have thousands of individuals that, after being chronically homeless, are just temporarily homeless and they often also have mental illness challenges. Hawaii is currently suffering from a severe physician shortage, with neighbor islands having as few as 50% of the doctors they need. 
As governor, how would you address this looming healthcare crisis in Hawaii? The physician shortage in our state is chronic. I've been focusing on this with good leaders like Kelly Withy and others at Jabson for many years. We've never had the political will to fully address it with loan repayment, and that's what we have to do. As a physician personally who works in the underserved areas of the Big Island, I know that it takes some kind of catalyst, in this case loan repayment, or direct compensation from an entity that's willing to pay a real wage, a professional wage, to get someone to work there in order to, to solve this problem. I will be the recruiter-in-chief as physician governor in the state of Hawaii. What I tend to believe I will do is I will go across the country to the many universities where our students, our local kids are, whether it's Stanford or USC, UCLA, Penn State, anywhere across the country. If they are graduating from medical school, I will try to recruit them back to our residency programs. And if they have done residencies elsewhere, I will also recruit them, which will be very effective, to come and work in our state. A small incremental investment in loan forgiveness and better reimbursements for early practicing physicians can absolutely eradicate this shortage. It is very cost effective because we're already putting more than $9 billion a year into healthcare, and a lot of it is being done in a wasteful way because we have to transfer patients from areas of shortage to areas where we have providers. It creates delays in care and extra morbidity. So you can imagine I will be on top of this problem right from day one. Hawaii recently passed legislation to increase the number of medical school training positions. While this is an important step towards addressing our physician shortage, these new providers will not be ready to enter clinical practice for five to ten years. What would you do as governor to increase provider recruitment and retention in the interim? I'm grateful to get questions about the short-term fixes for our healthcare provider shortage because long-term, we do have some extra capacity. We've been expanding both our medical school program and our residency programs. However, in the short term, we have to be able to incent doctors to come and work in Hawaii. I've begun work with some of the banks to put together more favorable loans so that people can afford housing and can restructure their debt. But we are actually going to have to put in real economic incentives to bring in doctors from other parts of the country. The only way we can out-compete some of these other areas is by a very favorable loan repayment system or an employment system where we actually pay a wage that is commensurate with the work and compatible with the housing costs here. It's never easy. People have to buy into Hawaii, but I think the greatest opportunity we would have is to have comprehensive loan repayment for any provider that comes to Hawaii. It will pay dividends in the long term. Hawaii has become increasingly unaffordable for people living here. What solutions do you propose to address the high cost of living? The high cost of living is the impediment for us to keep our young people here, which really means our children or our grandchildren. It also means we don't have workforce individuals here for the many needs that we have. The first and foremost way to deal with the cost of living is to bring down the cost of housing, which means that we have to greatly enhance the number of houses we build in the incoming uh, three to five years. We have to decrease the number of illegal Airbnbs, which are taking up our rental housing, and we have to have a Hawaiian homeland solution, which we just invested $600 million in this recent session, plus another $320-some million in settlements. That is a place we can be discriminating to build housing, and if you bring housing costs down, you bring people's monthly costs down more dramatically than anything else. Long-term, renewable energy will decrease our costs of energy, although that takes a long time to see the great impact of, and I firmly believe we should get rid of the tax on food and medicine, 
which would also benefit medical practices and make it more possible for us to afford to practice in rural areas as physicians. These are three different things that we can do that would greatly improve our capacity uh, to live here affordably. But it's not going to be easy because, as you know, we have a high energy spike right now because of war abroad and building housing is going to take some time. But this is, uh, this is front of mind for me and I will be working on the housing crisis day and night until we get through it. Hawaii's public schools are ranked in the bottom 50% of the country. What plans do you have to improve the quality of public education? Public education at a high level of quality has to be available for everyone. When I was born, I was uh, delayed. I was delayed in my speech and I was unable to uh, hear. I was deaf at birth. I was very lucky to have good ENT care. My hearing was restored, and then over several years in good public education systems, I was able to catch up. So I'm forever grateful to the public education system. But I was in a community where they had a lot of resources for public schools, which I went to my whole life. We need to put a second teacher in every classroom where children are having literacy challenges. We call this primary promise uh, in my team. Primary promise, which would be 200 additional educators, would cost about $20 million a year, is the way they've done this in places like Los Angeles, especially for communities that have a lot of poverty or a lot of people of color. We, as you know, are a, a multi-ethnic community, but we have a lot of communities that struggle, especially the Micronesian community and people who are new to our state and country. That is one of the fundamental changes that will improve our education system. Also, early pre-K. Again, because I had no hearing and because I had to develop speech later uh, in my developmental years, my parents put me into early pre-K 10 to 12 hours a day so that I would catch up. And we have to have that opportunity for every family. So if I'm elected governor, you'll see me focus on these early developmental questions and then a lot of investment in early education. It is an investment that pays seven to one, they believe, when they talk about these kind of uh, policies and plans. During the pandemic, there was a disconnect in communication between the Department of Health and the Department of Education. This contributed to deficiencies in coordinating and implementing appropriate COVID policies in schools. What are your plans to ensure that our children are able to attend school and stay healthy? As people know, during the pandemic, it was often left to me to communicate because we did not get a lot of timely communication from some of our other leaders, including those at the DOE and DOH. I had to often play referee when they were unable to come to terms over some of the rules. As governor, I will actually have a policy where we have essentially several of the departments coming together as a micro cabinet. These are affinity groups and education and healthcare will absolutely be two affinity groups because much of the healthcare that we can deliver to children is in the form of nutrition, it's in the form of prevention through screening, and it's in the form, in this case, of prevention of spread of infectious disease. It was really not acceptable that they were playing ping pong with these large decisions, and I really would have preferred that I be able to make them uh, after reaching some kind of consensus from the parties. Uh, that's what a strong governor needs to do. So I will not let people uh, kick the ball or kick the can down the road when these strong decisions have to be made because we needed our kids in the classroom for their development, and we also couldn't afford to have them away from school for a long time because a lot of their nutrition and development was dependent on that. I am a communicator, and I think we will not have that problem if I'm governor. 
Healthy foods such as fresh fruits and vegetables are often more expensive and less accessible than less nutritious, highly processed foods. What can the government do to increase the availability and affordability of healthy food, particularly for low-income families? There are a few things that the government can do to make sure that healthy foods are more available and affordable. And we've begun this process already in the food, in the, uh, food space for food stamps. Uh, when people have EBT cards, they can now go and get, get fresh food and vegetables. But a lot of this is very challenging because children, if left to their own devices, will not choose uh, natural foods, healthy foods, fruits and vegetables over other options. So you have to be very mindful to give them enough protein and enough calories that they're willing to consume and also do the health literacy that's necessary to get them to take food home, often in the form of a five-pound bag, which a lot of great groups like the Food Bank, with Jamie, which Jamie and I have sponsored as Lieutenant Governor and, and um, Jamie's role as First Lady to me as, as Lieutenant Governor, have done. So this is going to be a private-public partnership. Also, the Farm to School program is very important. It hasn't had adequate support in the Department of Education. They need several positions to actually implement it. I will obviously put those positions in place if I'm chosen as governor. There are a few things that are more important than nutrition for children. One of the tragedies in Hawaii is that we have one of the higher rates of food insecurity among children. It's as high as 50% at times in our state. This is something that Jamie has told me she intends to take up, and as a physician leader, I intend to also take up with her. So look for that solution from our administration to invest in those fresh vegetables and foods to go straight to the home. Hawaii's fragile environment is under constant threat from pollution and global warming. What plans do you have to address reduced carbon emissions while protecting and improving the health of Hawaii's environment? There are a few more important questions than environmental protection. As committed as I am as a physician uh, to dealing with our acute health care considerations and chronic health issues, we know that the environmental things that we do will live long after even the um, short-term solutions we put into place. So we have to be focused on the environment and how to make our environment healthy. In Hawaii, we can be a leader if we have the political courage, both nationally and internationally. We have the capacity to be renewable or closer to renewable than anyone else in the immediate future. That's already begun. The bill I wrote and ultimately passed more than 15 years ago became the foundation of us going to 100% renewable. So I'm very proud of that. We have to move toward electric vehicles. We have to enhance our position every day, every week, every month of uh, solar on rooftops and, of course, other modalities such as wind, even geothermal, if it's accepted in certain communities. That's the way we decrease our carbon footprint. There's carbon sequestration capacity here in, in the state. That means growing a lot of extra trees. I'm working with organizations that are willing to do that. There's some carbon sequestration technologies that are even coming from the fuel industry, like PAR Hawaii, and so we're working on that, like green concrete. These are important things to do because Hawaii should lead in this space. Now, we're always going to have a carbon footprint that is somewhat high from travelers because they come in here uh, on airplanes. Airplane technology is going to have to rely over time on some of the biofuels that can be created. We're in discussions with others about that technology, and we'd also like to do some of that with the low-flying planes uh, and a new technology that you'll hear about in the coming months and years from my team that we're working on. Uh, but there's so much to do because we not only have to decrease our carbon footprint and lead by example, but we also have to do climate mitigation. I'm looking very hard at some of the potential impact fees that could be gotten from travelers here to spend when we get the monies from their travel 
specifically adults coming to Hawaii, lots of people, lots of impact, that we would use that to preserve our open spaces, conserve a lot of open lands, and actually mitigate some of the effects of climate change because we're seeing a lot of sea rise and, and consequence at the shorelines. The final thing I would mention is we are going to see climate refugees here in the state of Hawaii. They come from all across uh, Polynesia. A lot of people have rights to come to Hawaii or America in general uh, because of long-standing agreements like the Compact Free States Agreement. We have to be ready to help them because of climate change. And so Hawaii is going to have to build and build safely and build in a green way. If we do those things, people will be proud of our response on climate change. But at the end of the day, I look at this as a health question. We should be a healthy state in an otherwise unhealthy country. And I'm honored that Hawaii has, because of our physician leaders and our nurses, we have been consistently the healthiest state in America, and it's due to your leadership at HMA. So thank you guys for including me in your midst. I'm honored to be a part of the organization, and I'm also honored to be your candidate for governor uh, as we go forward. That was the last question in our gubernatorial candidate interview. We now listen to closing remarks from candidate Josh Green. Aloha. Thank you for including me in this podcast, HMA. It's been an honor to be uh, one of your members over these years. I guess that's a unique thing that few of the candidates have ever been able to say, but it has been an honor. And thank you for honoring me as your Physician of the Year this year and in 2009. We've been through a lot together. As healthcare professionals, as a community, we've been able to keep COVID at bay compared to most of the other states. We had the lowest rate of COVID in the country and the lowest fatality rate because of people's sacrifice. And the experience I had helping to run that response has prepared me to become governor in the coming years. I will say this, by coming together, our values and vision uh, for Hawaii have been manifested as a safe place to be, a loving place to be, but it takes hard work. We have to have someone who will show up every day, who will never quit their job, and who's fully committed to the people of Hawaii. That's what I will bring to the governorship if you choose me. You know that I will focus on human needs. I will be focused on homelessness and affordability in our state, the housing crisis, and the physician shortage. These are things that I feel are in my wheelhouse, but I would have never gotten here without your support. So I'm so grateful to have you at my back over all of these years. I respect all the other opponents in the race, but we've never had a physician leader in our state uh, rise to the level of the governorship. We've never had anyone that understood the health disparities that we face uh, like I do because of the time I've spent with you. And we've never had someone who actually was with people in their greatest times of need as a physician. So I hope that all of these things recommend me to be your next governor. It would be a great honor if I could serve in that capacity. Aloha. Thank you for listening to HMA Connect. To learn more about the Hawaii Medical Association and future podcasts, please visit hawaiimedicalassociation.org.